This Family Life News Podcast is made possible by the support of listeners like you. It's the Noon Report from Family Life, bringing a Christian worldview to what's happening in New York, Pennsylvania, across the country, and around the world. Weather with Kevin Williams, plus special features and reports with the Family Life News team. Now, here's what's happening. Laid to rest. Good afternoon. Welcome to the broadcast. We're going to start today with a couple of high-profile funerals making national and international news. First, in Moscow, where Russian opposition leader Alexei Navalny was buried today, two weeks after he died under suspicious circumstances at a penal colony in Siberia. Ainsley Earhart with Fox News. You know, if you stand up to Putin, this could happen to you too. But still, people are out there in support of the Navalny family. The 47-year-old had a bullseye on his back for criticizing the Putin regime. Mourners faced arrest today who attended the the funeral. Over a thousand Russians have gathered near the church in Moscow to bid farewell. This is a huge loss, this woman says. He gave his life in the fight, says another. Correspondent Keir Simmons in Moscow, Alexei. Navalny's widow did not attend her own husband's funeral today for fear of being arrested. Also being laid to rest today, 22-year-old Georgia nursing student Lakin Riley, whose murder last week shined the spotlight on the illegal immigration crisis. Mark Teichner reports from Woodstock, Georgia. Obviously, Lakin Riley, a woman who is missed by so many in this small community. Lakin Riley was murdered while jogging on the campus of the University of Georgia, the suspect, a 26-year-old Venezuelan man, entered this country illegally in 2022. Correspondent Madison Scarpino. This tragedy has shaken a lot of people who live around UGA. A girl like her had a lot more life to live. It's gone too soon. Riley's obituary says her smile was infectious and she spread joy everywhere she went. The funeral set for 2 o'clock this afternoon at a church in suburban Atlanta. It's an ocean of flames in the Texas panhandle. I flew my helicopter for eight hours yesterday and never saw green grass. There's people lost everything. We just lost a million acres. All my neighbors are gone. The damage done by those devastating wildfires is almost impossible to describe. Correspondent Jason Allen. As the Smokehouse Creek fire raged out of control, it left a trail of destruction. It looked like Armageddon. It looked like the end of the world. It's heartbreaking, not just for me and my family, but all the other families. Here in the small town of Fritch, residents saw hundreds of homes burn in wildfires in 2014. Now they are seeing dozens more burn in this week's wildfire. This week's wildfires are the biggest in Texas history, the second biggest in U.S. history. Two deaths blamed on the blazes. Morgan Chesky continues our coverage. Now, we did get a brief break in the weather yesterday, but higher temperatures and winds expected to back today as officials stress to everyone that this firefight is far from over. These smoke-filled skies and flame-torched prairies are rewriting history in the Texas panhandle. The scorched landscape encompasses an area larger than the distance between New York City and Philadelphia. There were dueling rallies on the southern border in Texas yesterday. Both Donald Trump and President Biden were there. While there, Mr. Biden called on Congress to pass immigration reform legislation. It's time for the speakers and some of my Republican friends in Congress who are blocking this bill to show a little spine. Conservative leaders support 
supported this. Trump says the bill won't solve the crisis at the border, but deportations will. As president, I will carry out the largest domestic deportation operation in American history to remove Joe Biden's illegals and murderers, because that's what many of them are. The president says Trump's playing politics with the immigration issue, and it's time for Congress to act on legislation. Those senators who oppose it need to set politics aside and pass it on merits, not on whether it's going to benefit one party or benefit the other party. Trump says the poorest southern borders led to a new kind of crime wave. The United States is being overrun by the Biden migrant crime. It's a new form of vicious violation to our country. It's migrant crime. Polls show the border crisis is one of the top concerns of voters heading into this year's presidential election. More than 100 were killed, 700 wounded during a deadly confrontation at a food distribution site in Gaza City. Palestinians claim the Israeli military opened fire on hungry civilians, but the Israeli military claims the troops fired in self-defense after they were attacked. Our cameras were there shortly before 4 a.m. as crowds gathered in Gaza City, hoping for a single bag of flour. What happened next is in dispute. A Palestinian eyewitness tells NBC News Israeli forces opened fire at the crowd before the trucks arrived. Israel telling a different story, saying many were killed in a stampede near the trucks as people surged around the aid. If you approach armed soldiers in a war zone and there is a threat and they fire warning shots in the air, the best thing to do is to turn around and walk away. That report from Raf Sanchez in Tel Aviv today. More than 30,000 Palestinians have died in this war that was started by Hamas on October 7th. Alabama's taken action to ensure in vitro fertilization treatments continue. Correspondent Jim Krasula. Republicans in deeply red Alabama have quickly passed legislation to protect those who provide in vitro fertilization services from illegal action. Barbara Kalura is president of the National Infertility Association. These legislators need to see the faces and stories of people with infertility. Alabama Governor Kay Ivey is expected to sign the IVF protection bill into law. The Alabama Supreme Court last month ruled that frozen embryos have the same legal status as children. An epic blizzard, and we mean epic, is bearing down on the Sierra Nevadas in California. 100 mile per hour wind and 10 feet of snow. Possible. 10 feet of snow. How about that? That's possible by the end of the weekend in some of the higher elevations. Lake Tahoe will get closer to 3 to 6 feet of snow. Still to come on the Noon Report. Cop killer sentenced. Preparing for the eclipse and protecting women's sports. Well, good afternoon. I'm Kevin Williams and we're calling for a relatively mild weekend, but it starts a little damp, even a little wintry for some. I'll have forecast details coming up shortly. All right, Kevin, thank you very much. Let's check the stories making news where you live across New York and Pennsylvania. Life without parole. That was the sentence handed down yesterday in Rochester, New York, to the man who killed a city cop and wounded another in the summer of 2022. The courtroom erupted in applause as 22-year-old Kelvin Vickers learned his fate. Monroe County District Attorney Sandra Dooley. He had a smirk on during the sentencing. He 
thought it was a joke. This was a cold-blooded killer. He clearly had no concern for human life. And frankly, if he was released tomorrow, he would probably kill again. Vickers was convicted in October of 26 criminal charges, including murder and attempted murder, for the July 21st, 2022 shooting death of Officer Tony Mazurkowitz. His partner, Sino Sang, was injured. The judge called Vickers' actions violent and sadistic. Police in northwestern Pennsylvania asking for the public's assistance as they continue to search for a killer. A 23-year-old pregnant Amish woman found murdered in her home in Crawford County Monday afternoon. Cindy Schick is with the state police in Meadville. Anything that maybe um, seems suspicious, that their gut instinct saying something's not right, we want that reported. We'll follow up on that. We'll, we'll make sure that that information is received here and then passed on to our investigators. So again, nothing is too small at this point. We're relying on the community and their help. The victim, Rebecca Byler, suffered injuries to both her neck and head. The crime happened in Spartansburg, about a half hour southeast of Erie. In Erie, a two-year-old child found dead outside an apartment complex. That child had been reported missing early Thursday. A major crimes unit sent to the scene. Deputy Police Chief Rick Laura. It's an active and ongoing investigation. Obviously, uh, you know, devastating that you know these patrol officers uh, found this child that appears to have succumbed to the elements overnight. Laura would not say if any criminal charges would be filed in connection to the child's death. Erie County, New York is working overtime in preparing for the upcoming solar eclipse. Now less than 40 days away, County Executive Mark Polencars is asking businesses to close on April 8th, all in an effort to keep traffic down on the roads. There's not going to be driving bans. No, we want that the roads are going to be open. But what we want people to understand is that your best place to watch the eclipse is probably at your home. It is estimated a million people could flock to Buffalo for that celestial phenomenon. The Queen City is in the path of totality for the April 8th solar eclipse. Should be quite a show. The city of Buffalo honoring a firefighter this morning who lost his life in the line of duty exactly one year ago today. Mayor Byron Brown ordering flags lowered to half staff in memory of Jason Arno, who was killed March 1st, 2023, while at the scene of a massive blaze on Main Street. The 37-year-old Arno left behind a wife and young daughter. NASA County, New York has a Fairness in Women's Sports Act. It bans transgender athletes from competing in girls or women's sports. County Executive Bruce Blakeman. It is an unfair advantage for someone who is a biological male to compete against a biological female. The ban impacts over 100 county facilities in Nassau County and many who live there support this legislative effort. If you're biologically a man, I don't want to be playing a sport against you. Wouldn't want a boy competing against my, my daughter. This is a matter that concerns the integrity, the fairness, and the safety of women's sports. New York's Attorney General may take legal action against the Fairness in Women's Sports Act in Nassau County. A recent Gallup poll finds nearly 70% of Americans do not think that transgender athletes should play girls' sports. Swatting cases are on the rise in Pennsylvania. It's gotten so bad that state lawmakers are taking action to crack down on it. These are fake emergency calls made to police and fire departments. David Hall is a first responder near Harrisburg. It's a major incident, and it's extremely disruptive, not just to, the, to public safety. 
but it's also extremely uh, alarming and disruptive to operations of the businesses. Swatting's when a person makes a hoax 911 call alleging a serious threat. Cops have to take them seriously and often respond with a large police presence, including crisis response and SWAT teams, hence the term swatting. York County Representative Dawn Kiefer wants to criminalize the act. The perpetrator, if they are convicted, found guilty of, of swatting and this false reports, should be liable for all of the expenses incurred. She's sponsoring a bill that allows victims to take legal action and would give cops civil immunity in swatting situations. Once again, David Hall. I think that anything that's introduced that can help reduce the number of or the seriousness of any type of a swatting call uh, or harassment like that is something that would be a benefit. Last September, somebody called in a fake bomb threat to the Capitol City Mall. Two elementary schools in Harrisburg were recently swatted as well. And last month, a Walmart in Newberry Township, York County, was evacuated over a false shooting and a bomb threat. A Syracuse, New York native is going to have to wait just a few more hours to make her first trip to space. Jeanette Epps was scheduled to blast off from Florida early this morning, but that launch has been pushed back to late tomorrow night due to bad weather at Cape Canaveral. Epps will be part of a crew conducting research and maintenance aboard the International Space Station. That mission will last six months. Sports next. It's the two-minute drill as the noon report rolls on on Family Life. Good afternoon. I'm Randy Snavely. Bob the Buffalo Sabres went into Tampa last night to take on the team immediately in front of them in the Atlantic Division. And they came away with an overtime 3-2 victory over the Lightning. Rasmus Dahlin scored in the OT to give the Sabres a come-from-behind victory. Alex Tuck and Tage Thompson also lit the lamp for Buffalo. The Penguins were out west, and they got shut out by the Kraken 2-zip. Elsewhere on the ice, the Islanders got a pair of goals from Brock Nelson, and they ended the Red Wings' six-game winning streak with a 5-3 win over Detroit. Other winners were the Bruins, Leafs, Panthers, Canes, Predators, Stars, Avs, Kings, and Ducks. In the NBA at Madison Square Garden, Steph Curry scored 31 points and grabbed 11 rebounds as Golden State knocked off the Knicks 110-99. Jalen Brunson led New York. He had 27 points. In Brooklyn, Cam Johnson and the Nets blew out Atlanta 124-97. Johnson scored 29 points and Dennis Schroeder added 23 in the win. Also picking up wins, the Bucks, Magic, Spurs, Suns, Nuggets, and Lakers. In Los Angeles win, Anthony Davis was the top scorer for the whole league last night, throwing down 40 points to help L.A. win in overtime, 134-131 against the Wizards. Philadelphia 76ers big man Joel Embiid told the media yesterday he plans to make it back before the playoffs begin. He's recovering from a knee injury. At the time, Embiid was averaging 35 points and a little over 11 rebounds per game, and the Sixers have definitely missed that and hope he can be playoff ready 
That is a look at sports. All right, Randy, man, have yourself a wonderful weekend and still to come on the Noon Report for a Friday National Day of Unplugging. What's that all about? Our own Brian Query explains. It's Friday. That means Capital Connection. We've got Michael Gear and Jason McGuire on deck. Also ahead, Kevin Williams has that weekend forecast right after this. Welcome to Breakpoint, a daily look at an ever-changing culture through the lens of unchanging truth. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street. G.K. Chesterton said, The Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult and left untried. Well, the very same thing might be said of post-Roe America. In a recent interview with Shane Morris on the Colson Center's Upstream podcast, pro-life apologist Scott Klusendorf said, A difficult thing out loud. Quote, Every time this has been put to the public for a vote since the casting down of Roe, we've lost. And we've lost not only in blue states like Michigan, we've lost in red states like Ohio, Montana, Kentucky. And these are indicators that there's something not right in the worldview structures that we had assumed all along were in our favor. They're not. And that changes what our job description looks like post-Roe, end quote. You see, according to Klusendorf, the problem isn't that most Americans have heard the case for life and rejected it. Instead, they simply never heard the case clearly articulated. They'd never been forced to really reckon with it. Now that the Supreme Court has put the issue of abortion back to the states, it is more urgent than ever that we are able to argue persuasively for the rights of the unborn and to be able to do it at the street level. Or as Chuck Colson liked to say, over the backyard fence, around the barbecue grill. Apparently, Americans are either unconvinced about or more likely distracted from the most important question in the abortion debate. Who are the pre-born? Fifteen years ago, Klusendorf wrote the book The Case for Life, a book that answered that question and has been an absolutely invaluable resource for pro-lifers in simplifying the argument for all of us. Now that the depth of pro-abortion assumptions in our culture has become more and more obvious to us, he's updated and massively expanded the book, The Case for Life. And it is a must-read resource for all of us, anyone who wants to defend unborn lives. Included in the update are eight new chapters on what it means to be pro-life, which big questions about religion, rights, and law are relevant to abortion, which worldviews inform the abortion debate, and whether moral right and wrong are knowable things that we can actually legislate. This second edition confronts the worldviews of philosophical naturalism, critical theory, and postmodernism, all of which prop up and motivate legal legal abortion and stand in stark contrast to Christian theism. And it's important to note that these are the worldviews at work on the street level, as well as in the legislative debate. And in a brand new part of the book, Klusendorf wrestles with the most sophisticated arguments from pro-abortion philosophers like Naomi Wolf. For instance, he deals with body self-dualism, the notion that unborn children are not yet persons, the argument that fetuses lack a right to life, and even tackles the argument that it's okay to kill human beings if they threaten our bodily autonomy. Now, of course, most of us will never debate a pro-abortion academic publicly. And so for all of us, Klusendorf has straightforward and powerful advice don't get distracted. The new edition of Klusendorf's The Case for Life is a one-stop shop for everything you need to know to become a street-level pro-life apologist. It is the most complete and authoritative guide to pro-life apologetics ever written, and it could not have come at a more important moment. And that's why, for a gift of any amount to the Colson Center this month, I want to send you a copy of Scott Klusendorf's The Case for Life Second Edition. I'm confident it will prepare you to speak and defend the truth of preborn life in a time of deadly lies. We have to do it for the sake of a divided nation and for the millions of young lives that hang in the balance. 
To get your copy of the second edition of The Case for Life, go to colsoncenter.org slash February. That's colsoncenter.org slash February. For The Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street with Breakpoint. All right, thank you, John. Outside we go next weekend weather. Here's Kevin. Here is your family life weather forecast for this afternoon. Ample sunshine, high temps not far from 50. Starting up tonight, a little rain or a wintry mix coming in late, low temps 30s. Tomorrow it's cloudy. A little wintry mix early in the eastern twin tiers. Otherwise, morning rain tapering to a couple of showers. High temps near 50. Sunday, partly sunny and mild with high temperatures well into the 50s to near 60. Okay, we'll take it. Thank you, Kevin. It is Friday, folks. Congratulations, you've made it. This is the Noon Report on Family Life. And welcome back to another edition of Capital Connection. Fridays during the Noon Report, we give you direct connection to what's happening in Albany and Harrisburg with the experts on the issues at the state capitals. They are Michael Gear at the Pennsylvania Family Institute and Jason McGuire at New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms. Well, Jason, you called it the New York State Legislature rejecting the newly drawn congressional map for the 2024 election. Uh, the big question is what happens next and how likely is it that that June primary will have to be moved? Yeah, I anticipate that uh, there will not be court action challenging the maps that the Democrats have passed. Uh, it really shouldn't be a shocker that they had uh, sought to adjust those maps. The road to control of Congress really ran through New York the last election cycle. And talking to a Democratic senator who was very involved in this issue, uh, he indicates they believe they could pick up two more congressional seats based on their new maps. But there isn't enough change that uh, probably Republicans aren't going to test it in court. And we're probably moving forward with a little more uh, maps that favor Democrats a little more than previously. Brandon Williams is one of those seats they're hoping to steal, correct? Yeah, you'll see Brandon Williams is affected by that. You'll see Marcus Molinaro also has some in your listening audience. He'll be affected by that. So there's little changes around the edges, um, but not enough to probably mean some legal action. So you think the primary date will stay at where it is right now? Well, that remains to be seen. We're within the first week of petition. So I think they may reduce the petition signatures and keep the current primary date. All right. Michael, uh, election issues in your state. Third Circuit Court of Appeals going to rule on whether mail-in ballots with the wrong date on the envelope should count. This is a huge deal since over a million Pennsylvanians voted by mail in the 2022 midterm. This is the way voting is done nowadays. Why do you think these votes shouldn't count? And what way do you think the court will rule here? Well, the law that allowed mail-in early voting passed in 2019 included rules and guidelines to make it secure and trustworthy, or at least to try to. But through every election cycle, and especially in 2020 under COVID, many of those rules were set aside by judges or administrative action. And as each of these changes layer upon each other, they open up opportunity for mischief and some would say even fraud and lower the confidence in our election processes across the board. So I've always been in favor of in-person voting on a single day with confirmed identification of each person voting. Now, as far as how the Third Circuit will rule, I'm not quite sure. It's a more conservative court than it was eight years ago, but uh, I don't really know yet how they're going to end up on this one. Well, Jason, hey, it's March the 1st, and that means the budget deadline is just a month away. It's due April 1st in New York. Are you anticipating a protracted battle over the budget this year? And what are the issues that may hold it up this year? 
Well, it's a pretty safe bet in New York to always assume there will be a late budget. Uh, the, the question is, how late will the budget be? I think there are a number of issues that could uh, monkey things up this year. Uh, there was talk even of tweaking some of the cannabis laws that are still in play. There's housing issues that are involved. There's a continuing collapse, really, that's going to come from even the energy direction the state is seeking to take. So there's just a ton of issues that are going to impact this year's budget, and I don't think it's going to be done in a timely manner. It's going to be late. Well, Michael, Pennsylvania raked in nearly $6 billion with a B dollars in gambling revenue last year. Critics say there's another side to that coin, however, and you're writing about it on your website. We'll give that address at the end. I couldn't believe this. Calls to addiction hotlines have tripled the past year in Pennsylvania. Explain, if you would, the grip that gambling addiction has on Pennsylvania, and uh, why is it getting so bad nowadays? It's now uh, been 20 years since casino-style gambling was legalized here in Pennsylvania, and as I predicted then, the forms of gambling have metastasized here in Pennsylvania to the point where our state is only second to Nevada, the home of Las Vegas, in the dollars lost by individuals in gambling. And so what we're seeing now is more than 400,000 Pennsylvanians dealing with gambling problems and addiction. And with the introduction of online gambling, our smartphones, that's why we're seeing this massive increase in the number of calls to the gambling helplines. I wish this wasn't the case, but as I wrote uh, in my column earlier this week, and I hate to say it, I told you so. This is what we predicted, and we're seeing it all around us. And so many of these people who are addicted to gambling, they do it in secret. It's something that that you can't really quantify because it's something they nobody knows about, not even their loved ones, right? Exactly. Unlike other addictions where it's drugs or alcohol where they might slur their words or other signs of it, someone can have a severe gambling addiction, be spending through money, embezzling from their job, and it's unnoticed by anybody until it's too late. Jason, assisted suicide is a big issue this session in Albany. Uh, Disability rights activists recently held a rally there explaining the real dangers with this so-called medical aid in dying bill. Uh, What does the disabled community in New York have to fear with this latest effort to legalize physician-assisted suicide? Their lives. You know, when you talk to the disability rights community individuals representing that community, they fear for their lives. I mean, every single day they have to go before doctors and medical professionals and make the case for the things they need just to live. So their concern is that if this law were to pass, there would be coercion, financial pressure, other things will be pressed upon them that they would not get what they need to live, but they would be encouraged to die. Hmm. And uh, Michael, you can tell a lot about a person based on how much they tweet on a certain topic. I don't know if that's still a word now that there's no more Twitter, but uh, since taking office, Governor Shapiro's done a whole lot of tweeting on this issue, the abortion issue. In fact, he's tweeted about it almost 60 times more than any other issue. One of his more popular tweets is this, abortion is health care. Why is the governor wrong on that tweet? Well, the simple answer is because pregnancy is not a disease. But it goes deeper than that. From the very beginning, proponents of elective abortion, like Josh Shapiro, which is the purposeful killing of an unborn child, have applied different language or euphemisms to hide what is really going on. Thus, we have phrases like pro-choice, reproductive rights, bodily autonomy to describe abortion and the support for it. And they use terms like products of conception or a blob of tissue to hide the fact that it is a little human being there inside 
inside the womb. Shapiro knows all this, but his rampant tweets on abortion are to keep his base in line while he pretends to be a moderate in his day-to-day persona, which I don't buy. Okay, guys. And finally, let's talk about a couple issues that are making news at the education level. We'll begin with you, Jason, at students at SUNY Cortland were recently denied permission to form a conservative club last semester. This was Turning Point USA, not just denied, but they were shot down vehemently by a college professor and by the college president there at SUNY Cortland. What does this case say about the free marketplace of ideas on college campuses in New York? Well, that the market is closed. I mean, essentially, this is a situation where there should be those exchange of ideas, and you should be able to enter the public marketplace of ideas and talk about your values, your principles, especially in a college campus. But that isn't happening here. In fact, Turning Point USA was turned away as a classic case of viewpoint discrimination, and they've not even been given criteria as to why they were rejected. I think they're simply being slammed because they're conservative-leaning. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of fights that we fight every week, and a lot of them are losing battles, but you know, once in a while, we get a win. Michael, a school district in Beaver County recently approved several policies uh, protecting and upholding privacy rights, women's sports, which are under assault like never before, and religious freedom in the workplace. Tell us what happened at the Southside Area School District in Beaver County. Well, that Southside uh, School Board in Beaver County, which is the county just west of Pittsburgh, took those actions in response to the desires and requests from both students and parents in that community. Parents and students who understand the need for student privacy in locker rooms and bathrooms and keeping girls from having to compete against biological boys who identify as girls. These policies were developed with guidance, I'm happy to say, with the attorneys here at our Independence Law Center at Pennsylvania Family Institute. And uh, talking about when, Southside is part of a growing list of school districts across our state that are getting help and seeking help from our Independence Law Center and passing policies in other places in our state as well. Of course, though, there is pressure from the other side, the ACLU, the mainstream media, and sadly, the Shapiro and Biden administrations to go the other way and ignore the concerns of students and families alike. All right, and that'll have to be the last word this week, but hey, so many issues, so little time. Uh, the, the latest article on why gambling addiction is such a problem in Pennsylvania. Uh, Michael, you have an excellent article on that on your website. Where can folks read more? Family.org. And stay involved in the fight to deny assisted suicide in New York. Jason, you have an excellent article on this topic as well. Where can folks read that? NewYorkFamilies.org. Great show this week, guys. Thank you very much. The name of the program, Capital Connection, comes your way Fridays during the Noon Report or online anytime, familylife.org. Good afternoon to all. Here is your Family Life regional weather forecast. Well, we have rid ourselves of that bout of wintry weather, and some milder weather is ahead. Nice day today. We'll give way to a little dampness late tonight and tomorrow, and it'll be just cold enough for a little wintry mix for some late tonight before rain or rain showers take hold in the morning. And then higher pressure builds in for a nicer day Sunday, drier, brighter, and milder. For this afternoon, ample sunshine, high temps not far from 50. Clouding up tonight, a little rain or a wintry mix coming in late, low temps 30s. Tomorrow it's cloudy, a little wintry mix early in the eastern twin tiers. Otherwise, morning rain tapering to a couple of showers, high temps near 50. Sunday, partly sunny and mild with high temperatures 
temperatures well into the 50s to near 60. Okie doke, Kevin. Thank you. Finally at noon for a Friday. If you're addicted to your phone, well, today is just for you. Family Life's Brian Query. Are you constantly Snapchatting every move? Do you pass the hours with your face buried in your phone, documenting everything you do? Are you missing out on meaningful connections in the real world? Well, if you notice yourself doing this, then today is the day for you. It's the National Day of Unplugging. It's a 24-hour period running from sundown March 1st to sundown March 2nd to put away our phones and tablets. A Pew Research study found out what we already knew. Four in five Americans admit to using their phones multiple hours a day. So between today and tomorrow, take some time to carve out precious time to unplug. Relax, reflect, be active, visit the outdoors, and connect with loved ones. Sounds like something all of us could dial into. Brian Query, Family Life News. Love it. Thank you, Brian. Unplug and live, folks. There is a world outside of those devices. And that's our world, the world we live in Friday, the 1st of March. I'm Bob Price, Family Life News. You've been listening to The Noon Report, heard weekdays on Family Life. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to this Family Life News Podcast. If you've been encouraged by what you've heard, please share it with others and click the subscribe button to automatically receive future episodes. Family Life is a listener-supported ministry. Podcasts like this are made possible by your financial partnership. Find out more at familylife.org.